When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to Rich is Not a Four-Letter Word, the podcast for your wallet. My guest today, you're going to love. She is the host of The Daily Briefing and an original, I believe, host of The Five. She's been with (laughs) us a long time. You know her well, Dana Perino. I know her as that woman I see in the 18th floor bathroom from time to time as we're passing through to chat. And also we have a mutual friend uh, that you went to high school with, right? Barry Jackson? Barry, oh my gosh, yes. Barry mm-hmm. and I were great. Do you know Barry and I did theater together in high school? Oh, that's Theater geeks are the best. Yes, yes. He was. So I was much a speech fun. team nerd, speech but I love the theater geeks. We had such a great time, and he was so inventive and creative. Mm-hmm. Anyway, enough about our past. Yes. <laughs> let's, talk, let's talk about reality here. I want to get you to talk about money and money when you were growing up. I was going back through your book, uh, and here's the good news. Uh, it's And the Good News Is. And the good news is a book that I actually read and which is a great read if you haven't read it. It's really a lot of fun, really gives you a sense of what growing up was like in Wyoming. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was so funny to hear you talk about how your mother would sew Izod Lacoste alligators on your shirts because you wanted to be cool. Tell me about that. Well, so my parents both grew up in Wyoming in – they were born in 47. And so – they were baby boomers through and through. Uh, but they were not like children of the 60s that you sort of anticipate. Like they didn't go to uh, Woodstock, right? If you're in Wyoming, what do you do? That was like different. Well, um, you know, you work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but th- of course, they were super interested in uh, what was going on around the world, especially my father, who uh, my, my grandmother uh, recognized in him early on. He wanted to go to college. And he was one of three boys that was born at that ranch um, where my grandparents had um, inherited the homestead that my great-grandparents had uh, put together in the late 1800s when they had wow. emigrated from Italy. My mom was from Rollins, Wyoming, which if you've ever driven across I-80, if you do a no, big— can't ro- say I've done that. Well, if you've done a road trip across America, which I highly recommend, I-80 is one of the routes that you take. You go through Rollins, Wyoming. My mom uh, grew up there with her sister, uh, Patty Sue. Patty Sue Schuler, Aunt Patty Sue, we call Love her it. APS. So when my dad, uh, after he went to college, um, my parents married and they worked at the state hospital in Evanston, Wyoming. And I don't think that they ever thought they would really leave Wyoming, but my dad got a job offer in Denver, Colorado. Now, Denver back then was kind of a cow town compared to the amazing metropolis that it is today. So my parents moved there, but that was really like moving to the big city. I was two years old, but then I was at that elementary school till I think I was 11. And that's like with all kids, you start thinking about what you're going to wear. Things like that. And for example, jeans <laughs> were the popular thing to wear with jeans. And we wore a lot of denim. Okay. I'm from Wyoming. Um, it was popular to have designs on the pockets. Okay, like Jordache jeans, Remember like it? that. Yep, okay, yep. well, those were a lot more expensive than just your plain jeans. And I wanted something on the pocket of my jeans. So my mom, 
who was super creative and she's thrifty, not cheap. I would say thrifty and efficient. She went to the store and bought those appliques and there was a, this, I'll never forget, it was a big like yellow and orange D for Dana and had these like, it was either orange <laughs> with yellow flowers or yellow with orange flowers and she sewed that on, or like, I'm sorry, ironed it on to the back pocket of my jeans and she's like, there, now you have a design on the back of your jeans and I just knew I would be totally embarrassed, right, when I got to school. Did you wear them? Yeah, of course I did because I didn't have, <laughs> I wasn't going to go naked. So then I wanted Izod shirts. And I didn't even know really what that meant, but everybody else that was cool had them. Well, my mom was able to get one from like a thrift store or like a consignment store. And then she took the little alligator off of that shirt that she bought. And then she would sew them onto plain shirts of mine. And I remember in my third grade picture, in the class picture, I'm wearing the long sleeve pink Oxford shirt with the little eyes on on it. That's how much I loved, you know, thinking that I was part of the cool group. And my mom to this day has that alligator in her jewelry box. That is so charming. But you know what? It tells me that money was an issue and that it's it's something when I read the book, it's clear that it was something always in the back of your mind. What we can do, what we can't do, what I want, sure. what we can't have, what we can have. And I grew up the same way. You know, I mm-hmm. look back and think about how many dresses were in my closet for school when I was in grade school. And it was like three. I don't remember ever hurting for anything or that we couldn't, you know, we couldn't actually do anything. Like we... Um, my parents then, uh, my dad got a promotion and a job. He was a head of human resources at Western Farm Bureau Life Insurance Company. Um, when I was uh, reading the book, when I was in the fourth grade, Denver was the first city in America to try busing to integrate the schools. So instead of walking the three blocks to the elementary school that I went to, I was then forced to get on a bus and drive 20 miles into the city uh, into a different part of town. And it was Pretty traumatic. Nobody was really prepared for it. Nobody prepared the students or the bus drivers or the teachers for how this was going to work. My parents ended up deciding to go to the country. So we moved um, to – they built a house, moved out west. So we had – I would say we were solidly solidly middle class and probably upper middle class. By um, that point. by, By that point, yeah. What is your first money memory? If it's not the IZOD story, what would you say is your first recollection of, oh, this is money and this is what I need to know? Well, we were able to earn an allowance um, and we had to earn it. Um, I also remember one one of my favorite memories is my dad. I had a younger sister, Angie. She's four years younger than me. And do you remember when headbands were really popular that you would wear? Oh, yeah. I cannot believe we did that, but we did. Oh, yeah, that's the one I had, the white silk one with the rainbow, and then it had the gold thread through it. Well, I remember that my dad, I must have been eight or something. He said, let's you you and me go, and we'll go get one of these things. And we got in my dad's yellow (laughs) Dodge pickup, and we went and did this. And he was pretty cool about that, right? Because... When he, him growing up on the ranch, he didn't get to do any of those types of things. They didn't travel backpack through Europe. They didn't go to big protests or anything like that. They just lived their lives um, and in, in a great way. Um, but my dad let us be pretty creative. And I remember getting to go there with my dad. That was like a special treat. Um, I do remember when my grandmother on my mother's side um, became a widow. My grandfather died. I think I must have been 11. And my I remember my parents talking about the fact that my grandmother then needed to manage the money and the business and everything, and she had never once written a check. Wow. Those are different days, right? Really different days. But my mom kind of gets mad at me today because fast forward, 
I'm now married. Um, financial anxiety was something for me that was is very real, and would in, early on in my marriage would cause um, some friction. I'm the kind of person who I like to pay things ahead of time, so I would be three car payments ahead, always. And then I would think Dana, because I would think that's it, no that, right. So I would think if I'm three car payments ahead, if I have a tough month. I'll be, be okay. okay, right? That's how I would manage. My husband's complete opposite. He will pay on the last day that it is due, on the actual day that it's due, and he will not let them lose their money. And so sometimes, you know, you get that call like, oh, you got to pay your phone bill. I would just be apoplectic about it. And he'd be like, whatever. He's like, well, you pay it. Like, it's fine. You don't get a late fee. Like, we paid. We're, everything's fine now. So we had just very different views of that. And I remember reading something from um, a, a Christian magazine and it said something like, if you get to a point where you have a lot of financial anxiety in your marriage, and if you get to the point where as the woman in the relationship, which is, it's a new thing for women to make more than their husbands, yep. relatively new generationally. Younger women might not understand this, but it was pretty new. And it said, if you feel comfortable turning over your financial anxiety to your husband, you should do that because it empowers them. It gives you the freedom to not worry about it. And I thought... I'm going to try it. And so Tell me you did. You did this? I did it. And I to, to this day. And so we are um have been married 20 years next Sunday. I and I would that. say for 19 years Peter has managed all of our finances, pays all of our bills, handles all of that. I have no idea how I don't know where the I'm checkbook so is. Shocked. Yeah, my mom is surprised by this. She thinks this is a. The, the, she, it's not that she doesn't trust Peter, but she just right. thinks she's surprised because I'm a li- I'm firstborn child. Type A personality. Yes, you are. I've done a lot. Um, but I feel like because I don't have to worry about the financial thing anymore, then I can focus. Now, part of that is because making ex- when you get to a point where you make enough money that you are not worried about needing to be three car payments ahead, right? it really alleviates a Absolutely. lot of worry. And that's what my concern for people around the country that um, – is, is that if you are living with that finan- financial anxiety, it's so crippling to your life and it steals you from experiencing a lot of joy. That's totally true. I couldn't agree with you more. I want to bring you back, though, to men and women and money mm-hmm. because I heard a statistic last week that shocked me. The average woman is widowed in this country at the age of 59. Still. Mm. I was shocked by that because mm-hmm. I thought it had to be older than that. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, oh, my gosh, how do we deal with that? Most men, they die uh, leaving a wife behind. Mm-hmm. Most women are on their own when they die. And that means finances are totally different. Mm-hmm. So for you, you know, you've turned over your finances. Are you ready to pick them back up? I mean, we have um, a, we have a uh, <laughs> every, when it first started. It was nerve-wracking, right? Because if I saw or if I got the note on my phone like, "Uh, your phone bills due." I'd be like, "Peter, you have to have you paid it?" And I would get so upset. And then now with automatic pay, it I I never I don't think about it. I don't ever get a note that we're late or anything like that. Um I every once in a while at the beginning, I would say, "Are we actually okay?" I remember when we were first married, we moved to San Diego. We neither of us had jobs. I had left my job in Washington. He had left his um, home and his job in England, and we were both trying to make a go of it in this new place. The only thing we had with us, the only possession we had, was a six-month-old Vishla puppy. And we borrowed $10,000 from his boss um, because he was going to open his business, and they did some business there. 
And there were days when Peter would say, why don't we just go out to eat? And we would go to Rubio's, which was um, a fan- it, it is a fantastic takeout place um, out in California for like tacos, and things like that. And we would go there and I'd say, can we afford it? You know, and I would tough. look I'm like, Are we, can we afford so it? But I'm know. so glad we went through it. I, I really am glad that we went Why? through it. Because um, I do think it makes your relationship stronger. It makes you yeah. appreciate things more. It makes you more empathetic. It makes you want to fight for good policies that will help people yeah. not have to have that kind of anxiety. But I think that increasingly we're at the precipice of people having that anxiety. You know, the stock market is going great guns and people sometimes equate that with great benefits for everybody in the country. But that's not necessarily true because not everybody invests in the stock market. And in fact, household debts at an all time high right now. Well, and in particular, student loan debt is a is a huge problem, not just for the students, but for their parents. And what happens is we you know that if you get a four-year college degree, your possibility of earning over your lifetime really goes up. That's just the t- statistics. Yeah. I know it's popular now to say, yeah, you don't even need to go to college. But yeah, tell that to the first generation that, they, that their son doesn't need to go to college while you are you know, sitting pretty and not having to worry about if you can afford to go to Rubio's. Exactly And right. so well, look, they th- want college. And the student loan debt is a problem because it compounds and then you start getting chased by the collectors. It, they don't forgive. This is debt that does not give, get forgiven. It, it, they chase you down over a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean? It means that you don't buy the house, you don't get married, you don't have the kids. Your entire financial life is put on hold while you pay down this debt. I know mm-hmm. it's it's such a burden for people. I, I feel like there's a light at the end of the tunnel with that, though, because I'm already seeing some universities start to dial back those numbers yes, on what the they're Yes, the universities charging. are. The other thing that is... Um, of interest is that the economy is going so well and workers are ne- much needed. And one of the ways to recruit workers would be to say, you come to work at this bank. Um, if you promise to be here for three years, we'll pay off your student loan. We're seeing that in the medical profession. Some universities are yeah. giving a free ride to doctors. Right. NYU, figuring right. out a way to uh, money that is donated to the university. It's not, it's not taxpayer money. It's donated to the university, so there is a tax component because of the charitable contribution. But then you get students being able to go to medical school for free. And but you know they're and they're not saying you have to be a general practitioner, but they're hoping that because so many people want to be general practitioners, but they can't afford to be general practitioners, that they have all the student loan debt and they go into specialties, that this might be a way to alleviate that. So what do we need to do, though? Because, I mean, we've had wages go up, but not significantly so, barely meeting inflation at this point. I think people still feel like, you know, yes, there are more opportunities, but are they good paying opportunities? Is this something that the family can get ahead on? You worked for George Bush, mm-hmm. Medicare Part D. He was somebody who expanded government programs to help people. What do you think would be the single most important thing to do? What's the policy response here? Well, Medicare Part D, I think, was super interesting because, yes, it did expand, but it was also a pretty fair, free market way to do it. And now they're looking at replicating that uh, under uh, this administration, mm-hmm. Trump's administration, to to apply those free market principles in other parts of healthcare. It's not perfect, but it was one way to try to deal with it. I do think that, um, and I see it, you know, with my in my own family that the especially women who either are divorced or um, widowed, that financial anxiety is huge. Huge because also women live a lot longer. Yes, right. So thankfully, right, we're all living longer. This is good. We're taking care of ourselves. There's better 
uh, ways to better health care, lots of health care, like uh, better nutrition. People are exercising more longer. So, but, you know, if you want to retire at 65, you could live another 40 years. That's right. And do you have the kind of financial Do you have uh, the wallet? Do you have the pocketbook to make it and happen? And Social Security, it's good. It's not enough. Right. And so I, I do feel like um, incentives to save are important. And I think that you're going to see actually the Republicans introduce a bill next week as part of their uh, tax cuts 2.0 and trying to make the tax cuts permanent. But they're going to try to do some things for incentivizing people to save. Well, it's hard to incentivize people to save when the returns are so low. Right. Interest rates have been so That's long, exactly low right. so long. You know, I mean, you know, you go and you walk by a bank and the sign says point zero 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 six. Uh, return on a CD. Right. It's like, why would I? So when you were a that? kid, if you got a passbook or something like that, you could check every month, like, oh, you know, there's like, more I, money. Like, right? Oh, I, I earned fifty dollars more, whatever it might be. Like that would be good. No, that th- that is a problem. I do think the other thing that has to be done. It's not popular to talk about. But we have got to get a handle on our entitlement spending. People don't like the word entitlement. I'm just using it as the phrase for what they are called. But Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. These are programs that are crowding out all other spending, and there are ways to make these programs more efficient and to be able to last longer. Thankfully, right now, the Trump tax cuts are actually paying for themselves because economic growth has been so much that at the Treasury Department, they are seeing actual real dollars, like a billion dollars extra, that can go to start paying down some of our debt. But Dana, whose who's ox gets gored? When well, you the start- younger generation. I, mean, I think that you will see generational, not warfare, but real uh, discontent be- because we're going to get older. But the other thing we have to talk about and we have to be honest about is, are we going to be willing to figure out a way to have a logical and reasonable conversation about allowing more workers to come into this country? Well, that is something that I hear CEOs on our network complain about all the time, that there's Mm -hmm. just not enough people to do the jobs that need to be done. And Americans may not want those jobs or maybe they're just not qualified. There's a real debate over some of that. Uh, And I would love to see people get the kind of training they need for those high paying tech jobs. Let's elevate our own population, right? Get them employed. Wouldn't that be a great thing? Well, I would if I could recommend to your listeners um, a book that my friend wrote. It's his name is Alec Ross. And he wrote a book called The Industries of the Future. The title doesn't exactly describe why I recommend it. It really, to me, is a parenting book. So if you have children, let's say, 12 and under, this is a book for you because it goes through all the different sectors and what you need to do if you are going to have one of those jobs in the next 10, 15, 20, 25 years. Super helpful to look ahead and think, are we prepared or not? I'm trying to remember back when I was in college – uh, you know, I was very, it was on my mind that I had to find a job where I could find opportunity because we were in the middle of a big recession. And I think mm-hmm. you were probably pretty pragmatic about it too, right? Well, sure. Well, and I wanted to be a local news journalist. And then when I finished graduate school, I was like, oh, that pays really poorly. <laughs> yeah. And then I was kind of disenchanted with the, um, but I saw some bias in the media, and I thought, I don't know if this is for me. I didn't want to live in Illinois where I went to graduate school. So I called my dad and mom, and they said, that's okay. You, know, you can come home. So I waited tables. Um, I never wanted to have to ask my mom and dad for money. I am. I see some young people sort of, I guess, maybe in my social circle or here that that are working that that do need to have their parents' help because cost of living 
is what it is. In New York City, it's through the roof. And also, you have a record number of people living with their parents longer. But you know what? Yes, I want young people to feel like go out there and experience and move and and get your first apartment. But I also think America's parents are pretty great because they want their kids to be able to come home and, and have a good start. Well, they're certainly empathetic. That's for darn sure. Mm-hmm. No doubt about it. When I talk to people, you know, we I had a young man on this podcast getting ready for his freshman year in college. He was already saving for retirement. There uh, are people no, they have like a different that. mindset. Like, well, especially some of these younger people, when if they graduated in 2008. Right. Okay. Then they went through. Uh, well, it was a very weak recovery for eight years. But if they graduate in 2008, it's likely that they saw their family's finances impacted by the Great Recession. Maybe dad, maybe mom lost their job, right? And maybe they lost their home. That's, I mean, you see that with a lot of young people. They've been through that. They've seen their parents suffer and they say that I'm not going to do that. It causes them to make some good decisions and some bad decisions. Some of them won't invest in stocks because of what happened to the stock market, but they are more cognizant about the dollars and cents, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, Your best advice for those folks? Well, I do think that Finding somebody who is a financial advisor is really very helpful. Um, we have a, a guy in San Diego who we met when we were figuring out if we could uh, afford Rubio's. Um, <laughs> his name is Norbert Francesa, and he is with Morgan Stanley, and he's been with us through all of it. And you know, if you think about it, when Peter and I met, yeah, I'd worked on Capitol Hill, but I'd done nothing. I'd never met George W. Bush. I never thought I would be the White House press secretary. Working in an administration gives you a certain amount of credibility and ability to move up and to have a, a change in career that is so fulfilling and amazing and get to live in New York. I mean, I pinch myself a lot, and Peter and I both do. He grew up with a military family, um, and he was able to go to boarding school and because his dad was based in Singapore. He was in the Royal Air Force, and there was no British school or Western school for the kids to go to school. So the Royal Air Force gave vouchers. And so he went to a boarding school up in Scotland when he was 10, 10, 11. And then when the parents came back to the UK, his dad said, you have a choice. You could stay at boarding school or you could come home. And Peter chose to stay at boarding school because he loved the school. and He knew his education was so good. And it's very good. What he learned by 18 is beyond. I'm so jealous. Yes, I am. But I also use him as my personal Wikipedia and Google page. Um, (laughs) But he says he didn't realize until later what a sacrifice it was for his parents because the Royal Air Force wasn't providing vouchers that the parents were back in the UK. So the parents oh, wow. had, to had to pay? pay for that boarding school. And what a gift it is to give education to your children. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, I don't want to take your your entire day today, Dana. You've been so generous I love Thank talking you. about these things. I know. It's important. I think so too. And and I and I think that people love to hear people like you talk about a different aspect of your life and mm-hmm. how you dealt with money and how you think about it. And it's clear you've been it's been front of mind and you've thought very intelligently about it. So thank you for coming on. Great to see you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great podcast. Thank you. She's the host of the Daily Briefing with Dana Perino, a co-host of the Five and Mom of Jasper. Dana Perino is an inspiration to many Americans because of her hard work and smarts. And yet, as a former White House press secretary, she famously worked for George W. Bush. She's not someone you think of as being interested in money. That's all wrong. Dana has thought a lot about money and faced her own financial anxieties. The takeaways. 
One of Dana's earliest money memories is associated with her mom, a frugal woman who bought a large D applique, D for Dana, to sew on Dana's pants pocket so the grade schooler could have a pair of designer jeans. Her parents both schooled Dana in keeping her spending under control, and she saw women in her own family wrestle with financial issues. When her grandfather died, leaving behind her grandmother to cope, she didn't even know how to write a check. By the time Dana was a young adult, her anxiety was such that she would stay three car payments ahead, just in case. That attitude would cause friction with her husband, Peter, who would time payments for the last possible minute before the deadline. The early years in Dana's marriage weren't easy financially. They moved to the West Coast with nothing but a dog. She remembers consulting her husband about whether they could afford a dinner out. These days, Dana allows her husband to handle money matters, turning over the checkbook to Peter. That, she says, allows her to focus on her job and hectic schedule. It's an arrangement that seems to work well for both of them. But even today, Dana still talks about her concern about financial anxiety, especially among recent college grads and young adults. Take a listen to the podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Jerry Willis FBN and on Facebook where my handle is Jerry Willis. You can also find me on Instagram at Jerry underscore Willis. Bottom line, I want to hear from you. What money issues do you want to explore? Tell me and we'll get it on the podcast. Have a great day. And remember, rich is not a four letter word. It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.